This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Premier. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And uh, with a Wednesday, that comes your questions. That comes Mailbag Wednesday. You guys drive the ship. You tell us what questions you want answered. We hopefully, hopefully give you the information that you're seeking, uh, or at least some form of something close to it. Uh, that's the goal. And today's a Wednesday, so Eric's collected uh, the eight best questions that have been sent in by Oregon fans. I'm assuming everyone's an Oregon fan if you're sending it in. Uh, so, Eric, let's let's kick this off with question number one. Probably not unexpected here, but we're starting with a possible Marcus Arroyo leaving question. Yep. From at Nat Fod, if Marcus Arroyo leaves for UNLV before the early signing period, what are the chances that some recruits choose to look elsewhere um, if the guy who recruited them leaves? What do you think, Matt? Do you think there would be – are there any recruits, I guess, in particular uh, that Arroyo recruited that you think maybe would look other, elsewhere? And I think uh, I looked earlier today. Arroyo is the fourth highest-rated recruiter in the Pac-12, so it, it is a good question in terms of what the ramifications might be. Sure. I, mean, I, I think uh, this is a little bit of a speculative question because Arroyo to – UNLV, at least the time of this interview, or at least the time of this podcast, hasn't been announced. We've certainly heard that it's possible. We know that he's interested. We know that he's interviewed for the job. We know that they're talking. But no actual announcement uh, has happened yet. That being said, let's just go down the rabbit hole and let's consider if, yeah, he does take that job. What happens next? Uh, you did mention he's fourth in the conference uh, in recruiting. And I think it, if we should also note that uh, there are – Two other Oregon coaches higher up the, the pegging order than he is. Dante Williams, Oregon's cornerback coach, is first in the Pac-12 with five verbal commitments. Ken Wilson, Oregon's linebacker coach, is third with seven commitments to his name. And then we also have another guy from Oregon that's in the top ten, and that's Alex Maribel, uh, Oregon's offensive line assistant coach. Uh, and he is eighth in the country with five verbal commitments. But now, as for Arroyo... Uh, he's been designated the, the lead recruiter, uh, for, for three prospects, uh, in this recruiting class right now. That's, that's committed to Oregon. Um, Brian Butterfield obviously is, uh, the top target of that group. Uh, the, the recruit, he's the most responsible for, uh, in the 2020 commitments. Um, I, I would think, I don't think Butterfield would change his commitment uh that would be the one that just impacts it the most though just because that's his future position coach like butter royal works with the quarterbacks butterfield's a quarterback like i don't think butterfield's ever going to waver because of a royal leaving uh i i think that's a pretty easy sell of hey look uh our offense is so good that someone wants to take it uh, and, and redo it somewhere else at another school. And so our offensive coordinator is becoming a head coach, but we feel very confident we'll find someone else that can run the ship. And oh, by the way, the rest of the offensive staff is still here. 
So I think, I think that's a pretty easy sell to a guy of, you know, we're so good that people are taking some of our, our secondary coaches, uh, our assistants to, to become head coaches. Uh, and you, you should just stick with us to, to keep running the ship as it is. So I don't think anyone is going to, to bolt because of Arroyo leaving. Now it could open the door for maybe the possibility to, to, consider other options and then you know they may find something of more playing time uh they may find a school that's you know got similar players that 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 guy's looking for or what whatever reason i think it may open the door for someone to maybe look around but i don't think it's going to be the sole reason why someone would leave you know i think the one thing is could it be a deal where a, a recruit chooses not to sign early because oregon doesn't have an offensive coordinator and i think that would be more likely than losing them all right, you know, altogether. And it, it, it would depend upon what they do in terms of replacing a Royal, which is a nice tie into our second question from at Alex PDX 88. Rob, and he's, he's straight up telling us who the next OC is going to be. It's not even a question from, oh. from Alex. Rob Chazinski is the, play the breaking o- news sounder. <laughs> da, 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 da. Rob Chazinski. He do that again. No, I never. <laughs> I'm kind of, kind of, kind of embarrassed. I did it the first time to be honest, <laughs> but um, Alex is saying uh, Rob Chazinski will be the next OC. If Arroyo is gone, he gives three reasons. One, he played with Mario Cristobal at Miami. Two, he's a former NFL offensive coordinator. And three, he's currently not coaching anywhere. Um, Chazinski is also a former head coach in the NFL. was not a particularly successful uh, one year with the Cleveland Browns, they went four and twelve. Although most coaches who coach the Cleveland Browns fare about that well, so <laughs> maybe maybe you can't really take anything away from it. Um, that's an interesting name, and, and there are going to be a bunch of names if slash when the Arroyo news becomes finalized. You're going to see a, a ton of names thrown out there. Um, this one does make some sense based upon. The fact that you look at who Arroyo has test targeted at times during coaching searches and oftentimes guys you he mean has. Marcus, uh, Mar- Mario, Mario, Cristobal. Mario Cristobal, sorry. Yeah, Mario Cristobal is targeted at times. It's been guys he has, you know, previous relationships with and obviously somebody he, he played with in college. Uh, Chizinski was a star tight end down there when, when Cristobal was playing on the offensive line. That could make some sense. Um, in terms of a fit of how they coach, uh, I don't necessarily know if it is going to be such a great fit in terms of, I think, Chuzinski runs more of like a pro-style offense, and I guess uh, it would be interesting to see what that would look like at Oregon. Maybe that's something that Cristobal is looking to embrace, but um, an interesting name to kind of start with, and I think you're going to see a bunch of other names, you know, kind of roll out. Is this some? Is this a name that you've heard or that you kind of like, Matt, or what are your thoughts on Chuzinski? Well, I mean, he has been considered and often rumored throughout this entire year to be brought on as an offensive analyst. Uh, for Oregon staff. So I, I think, yeah, that's probably a, a, a safe starting point. I don't know if I would necessarily go out and say that he is going to be the front runner, uh, for this job. I mean, he isn't coaching right now. Like, I, I have to wonder it, why that is. I, I don't know, you know, but it, I would think if he was this, you know, home run hire, uh, he would have been doing something this season for somebody, whether it's at the NFL level uh, or at the college level. I know Oregon tried to get him on as an analyst. Maybe it was he wanted to come to Oregon, but just the money wasn't right because of the analyst position. Right. And if, you know, becoming the offensive coordinator, Oregon has the money to make it happen. And maybe he's just been waiting for, for Oregon to open up. We, we don't know. But re- all we know is he's not coaching right now. Um, I think Mario will also look internally. Uh, and – 
look at a na- you know look at someone that's on the staff and there's someone in particular I think uh will have something on the site early, you know when when if Arroyo does leave uh I think there's a guy on the staff that Oregon will look at and then uh I also don't want people to think that you know it's easy to, to put connections with people that have ties to uh to Mario Cristobal as head coach whether he played uh with him whether he coached with him uh what have you but I mean, I don't think anyone really had a strong inkling for Andy Avalos last year. Uh, and ever, I mean, I, we reported it. We were, we were told, uh, Keith Hayward was going to be elevated to the defensive coordinator job, uh, when Levitt left. And then Mario went out, did some interviews and found Andy Avalos and said, no, we're keeping Hayward, but we're also going to bring on Andy Avalos. So, you know, I, the one thing I will say about if there is a coaching search for an offensive coordinator, um, Mario Cristobal has done a very good job, whether it's here at Oregon or whether it was at FIU, of hiring assistant coaches. I mean, it almost seems like every single one of those guys uh, that comes to work for him turns out to be, at some regard, a home run hire. So I, I have no doubt that um, whoever he hires, if the position opens up, would, would be a good name. Third question from at Demore underscore 44. Do you see Oregon utilizing the, the quarterback more in the read option next year? Does Shuck, Butterfield, Mellon, or whoever else we may get have that sort of skill set? If not, do you see Mario moving away from the pistol? Isn't a main part of the pistol scheme a running quarterback? Um, this has yes been a hot no. topic basically all year, right? Yeah. Yeah, this whole pistol thing. I mean, the combination of A, fan base doesn't like the pistol, and B, the fan base has wanted the quarterback to be run all season, and and now it's uh they're both kind of uh, colliding in this one question here. I think some interesting questions there in terms of like the skill set of Shuck, better Butterfield, Millen, or, or somebody else. I think Shuck could be somebody who you could run with the ball, but I don't know if you primarily want him to be a running quarterback. I think his his best you know you, you if you watch him, he's pretty agile. He is pretty good in the open field, but I don't necessarily want to say he's like a. He's not Marcus Mariota. He's not Dennis Dix, and he's not somebody who I think you would want initiating the offense in that way like 15 times a game. You know, he, he would not be a run-first quarterback, but I think he's somebody who'd be capable of keeping the ball a little bit, sort of like what we saw from Herbert um, in the Pac-12 Conference Championship game. Uh, you know, um, interesting questions, though, in terms of, like, do you, do you think Oregon, Matt, will run the quarterback more next year? Because I kind of felt like that was something they did sort of uh, as a strategic advantage and kind of a pinch in a spot where they knew Utah wasn't prepared for it because they hadn't done it all season. I still think what Cristobal said in August about we don't run the quarterback remains the tr- more, more of the rule than it does, uh, you know, kind of the opposite of that. I think I think that's kind of what you're going to see going forward is, is primarily they won't run the quarterback. But we should also mention that it'll depend on who the offensive coordinator is too. Yeah, I, I think – We'll see more of what we saw from Oregon the last two years, next year. Um, part of that is because I think of depth at the position. Like, look, right now this season, Oregon had Herbert, Tyler Shuck, and Kale Millen. And then, uh, I don't know, what, a month, six weeks into the season, Kale Millen was lost for the year because of an injury. And so Oregon operated all the regular season with two scholarship quarterbacks. Uh, and, and next year, Herbert's gone. Kale Millen's healthy, you would think. Tyler Shuck is still on the roster, and Brian Butterfield is here. And so they have three quarterbacks again. That's still 
you know, one of those guys is injured, one of them is a true freshman, and one of them is a sophomore that's played in, what, six or seven career games for Oregon. Uh, and if Shep does win the job, uh, whoever does win the job, you know, there's not a lot of depth behind him if, if all of a sudden another guy gets hurt. And so I, I, I think that's part of the issue is if you have four quarterbacks that are scholarship quarterbacks on roster, you have the ability a little bit more to, to take the risks, uh, to run the football and, and take the poundings because you have the depth to withstand an injury. Um, you know, it happened. I, I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence runs a ton for Clemson. I know Jalen Hurts does. Uh, for, for Oklahoma. I know Justin Fields does run the football a little bit for Ohio State. Tua ran a little bit for Alabama. I, I, I think all of those schools will have better quarterback depth situations than what Oregon has. And so Oregon's kind of being safe. And we, I think in two years now, we, we can safely say that, you know, Mario Cristobal plays things kind of on the safe side. He doesn't take a lot of risks. He does do them, and when they are, they're very calculated of when it's when it's a good time to take that risk. Like against Utah, there's only two games left. There's about a month of time between the next game, and so if Herbert does kind of get nicked up and you know is out for two weeks, it doesn't impact anything. You know, and maybe they still win the football game because of the injury uh, or because of the stuff that happens before the injury. Um, so I I don't think they're going to run the ball a ton with with Shuck or whoever is the quarterback next season. Um, I, I do think there could and there should be some tweaking to the offense. Does that mean getting rid of the pistol? I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I keep going back though to this year's offense. People talk about how this group did not play very well, you know, from, from an offensive standpoint. Oregon this year was, what, what are they? 15th in the country and scoring points per game at 35.9. You know, that's to me, Pretty darn good. You know, total offense. Uh, Oregon was 26th in the country with 450 yards. You know, like, uh, it's not like this offense couldn't move the football. And how many more, more points, how many more yards would this group have if, like the Cal game, there wasn't three turnovers that ended drives. There wasn't field goals missed. Uh, you know, Stanford, you know, a couple, a couple of execution plays just you know, great play call, just executed poorly. Oregon State, same thing. You know, it wasn't a play calling issue uh, the entire time for the Civil War. So, I mean, I look at this offense and I'm like, I mean, they were pretty good. I mean, I think you always have to make tweaks, but I don't think there needs to be any, you know, drastic changes. Fourth question from at Tosh Myers. Who will be Oregon's starting offensive line come 2020? This is Ooh, a great question. This is a great- good one. Yeah, yeah, it is, because there's a lot to consider here. Uh, you lose four starters. Basically, everybody besides Penny Sewell is not back. Not basically. That's the, just the clean fact of it. And you also lose Brady Aiello, who is really your sixth offensive lineman, kind of your utility guy who, you know, if whoever went down, he was going to move into the lineup kind of as that next guy. Um, he's gone too. So it, it is a question of you're, you're kind of losing, you know, Five of your top six offensive linemen this offseason, and that's a, that's a big task to, to fill. Obviously, Penny still comes back. He's you can write this in Sharpie and just underline it probably a thousand times. He is your starting left tackle next year. I don't think there's any question about that. The rest of it though is up for grabs. Um, I think Stephen Jones, Malasala, Amave, Laulu, um, Alex Forsyth are guys that we heard a lot of positive things about this season. Jonah Toyanu is a, a freshman who was very highly regarded. 
they were able to redshirt him this year. We should mention they were also able to redshirt Jones and um, Malasala, uh, which was big coups for them to be able to do that to save a year to possibly get those guys an extra year starting um, around each other. Um, but then you also have uh, TJ Bass, who's a highly regarded junior college player. I think the big question to me is, like, what happens at center? Um, because yeah. you've had Hanson there for four years. Throckmorton was clearly the... Uh, the, the kind of the fill-in if slash when Hanson ha- was required to miss time. And then you had Ryan Waka walk on kind of as the uh, the second team center for most of it. But I kind of wonder, is Walk the replacement, or is it going to be a Forsyth or a Bass or a Dawson Yaramillo? Uh, I think there's a, quite a bit of issues there. And what happens at the center position probably impacts a lot of stuff around it in terms of, you know, if, if you end up having Bass at center, is Forsyth then going to start at one of the guard positions? Um, you know, if I'm just predicting here, um, I'll, I'll give my five, and then I'll, let, I'll give Matt the floor to give his five. But I would say Sewell at left tackle. I'm going to say Taoyanu is going to be at right tackle. Right guard, Stephen Jones. Left guard, Malasala. And I think Forsyth at center would be my prediction. So left to right, Sewell, uh, Malasala, Forsyth, Jones, Taoyanu. That's That would be my five left to right. I think for me, I would lean Penny Sewell at left tackle, uh, probably Stephen Jones at left guard, Forsyth at center, and then Malasala, and then, like you said, Jonah Tuwanu. I, I, that's kind of where I, I land. Um, maybe TJ Bass bumps his way in at center, and Forsyth goes to right tackle. He's got the ability to do that. Um, I think, you know, maybe the development of a guy like Chris Randazzo or, uh, Dawson Drillamo could impact things there. But unfortunately for both of those guys, uh-huh. uh, their seasons were cut short because of injury. So their development's been put on hold for uh, a little bit of time. Um, I, I, I think from this year's recruiting class up front, um, I don't really necessarily think there's anyone Outside of TJ Bass, that's going to show up and, and 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 start right away. I mean, Jonathan Dennis is a you know four-star offensive guard. Jalen Jeffers, you know, but I don't think anyone's expecting Dennis to beat out Malasala uh, or Stephen Jones. Um, Jalen Jeffers is a three-star offensive tackle, uh, certainly a athletic freak at that position, but I don't know if he's big enough yet. Maybe he is, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, Marcus Harper, you know, another interior lineman. I don't think he's going to really slide himself in and, and start. And then, uh, Fuape Luolu, a, I butchered his name and I apologize. You know, the, the, the biggest human being I've ever seen in my entire life, six foot nine and, you know, almost 400 pounds. Uh, as he's going to be a guy that needs to, to lose some weight before he gets to Oregon. So, um, I don't really know if there's necessarily a guy on this committed recruiting class right now, uh, that, outside of Bass that's going to show up and have a chance to play right away. So it's probably going to be someone that's on the roster right now, and I think you and I are in agreement of of who those five are to start the season. And I, just one thing on that is, you know, obviously the experience factor is going to be significant. They're going to lose a, a ton of starters and a ton of starts um, this offseason, but the talent level is, is, is very, very good, we should say, because Sewell's a top, what, 50 recruit out of high school. Talion is a top 100 guy. Stephen Jones is a high four-star recruit. 
Uh, Malasala was the junior college offensive lineman of the year. He was the top rated junior college player last year. And, and Forsyth was, I think, a, what, either a high three star, low four star kind of guy. So that, that's a very talented group, even though it's an inexperienced one. I think a lot will depend on Forsyth and, and where he can play and who, uh, who around him elevates their game. Like if, like if TJ Bass isn't the starter, you know, isn't, capable of taking over the start the starting spot, I think Forsyth lands there. Or maybe force if someone if there's an issue at right tackle, uh and Forsyth would solve that and Bass could handle the center duties. Uh I, I think, you know, we could see Forsyth move. I, I think Forsyth gives this entire team uh a lot of flexibility, versatility along the offensive line. Alright, let's take a quick break. Uh, you listen to the Austin Audible's podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel with me as always, talking uh, Mailbag Wednesday, looking at some questions, lots of work in football, lots of recruiting, lots of future projection type stuff. Uh, let's go to number five. Fifth question from at Josh Harden underscore four. Has there been a Pac-12 school that has swept the season championships in football, men's, and women's basketball? Seems like we have a legit shot to do it this year. Uh, I spent all the time looking at this. I, I don't think so. Um, there have been a handful of times where schools have won, you know, two of those. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, a couple dozen times that there's been repeats of either men's and women's basketball or men's, men's basketball and, and football or women's basketball and football. But I couldn't find an instance where they had won all three. Um, obviously, the football uh, team did the first leg. They accomplished that Oregon as Pac-12 champions this year. So uh, they've already kind of, they're one down, two to go. And you look at at least from where the schools are ranked nationally right now, uh, the men's and women's basketball programs have a very, very good chance of doing that. Um, the men, I think, strangely, it feels like have like a little better odd of doing it. I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but you look at the women's top five right now. Oh, it's stacked. It's three, three of the top four schools are from the Pac-12, with Stanford being number one, Oregon at three after losing to Louisville, and then Oregon State at number four. It's like, that is going to be an absolute dogfight all year, so... I, I mean, I ESPN still, released their, like, bracketology for the women, not to cut you off, but that's fine. Yeah. three number one seeds in the Pac-12. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, that's ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, it's that that is going to be – I still would pick Oregon, I think, out of those teams, but that gives you an idea of why that won't be so easy. And I think on the men's side, um, I think Oregon is probably favored right now going into – and obviously we haven't got, got to conference play, but in terms of the rankings, the Ducks are the – where they rank now 10th, I think I saw in the AP. That's, yes. that's the highest of any Pac-12 school – 
Um, Matt probably knows a little bit better about the landscape around him in the conference, but I would think Oregon has a pretty darn good chance of, of winning that one too, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Oregon's probably been – they're certainly the most tested team uh, in, in the Pac-12. Uh, I don't know if if they've been the most impressive, but they've played – uh, the toughest schedule to date, and maybe that means they are the most impressive. Uh, Washington's got a good win, but they've suffered a couple of losses. Arizona lost for the first time this week, uh, this year on the road at Baylor, but they didn't really play anybody up until that point. Um, so I, I think the conference is still, from the men's side, um, a little bit open and there for the taking for anyone there. But, you know, the people that we were expecting to be near the top are starting to emerge. Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Colorado, you know, those, those are kind of the four. Uh, and then the rest of the conference is, is, is trying to keep pace. And it's just, it, it's, it's possible. I'll say that it's possible. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. It, it maybe even is likely, but I, I'm not going to say it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. I, but that's a good question there from Josh. And some terms of something to keep an eye on here is, is if Oregon does sweep the basketball championships, which I think we're both in agreement, there's probably pretty decent likelihood that happens. Um, based upon what I researched and maybe I'm missing a year way back when, but it looks like the women's basketball championship started in 88 and I didn't see any, any duplications between women's basketball, men's basketball and football. So we could be in for some history this, uh, this spring if, if the men's and women both take care. A business on the hardwood, like it, it seems pretty likely it could happen. So, um, good question and kind of an interesting thing I think to keep an eye on once we move on from football officially um, at the Rose Bowl and, and towards basketball. Number six from at JD High Roller. Do you guys think it would have been a better game playing Penn State? Why or why not? Um, it's an interesting question. Uh, I should I will say it would have been cool. I think it'd be 25 year anniversary to. Uh, the Rose Bowl with Penn State when, when Oregon played down there under Rich Brooks, which was um, the first Rose Bowl in numerous decades for Oregon back then. So that would have been kind of a, a cool element in terms of a 25-year reunion from from that big game. Oregon obviously lost that one to Penn State. Uh, in terms of the matchup, I, I kind of like the matchup. Uh, I wrote about on the site on Monday of, like, this kind of feels like Oregon is playing Utah of the Midwest with Wisconsin. Um both, you know, both those teams are, are really strong up front on the offensive and defensive lines. Both teams have a really, really strong physical running back. Jonathan Taylor is everything that Zach Moss is and a little bit more. Uh, you're talking about a guy who uh, could end up setting the NCAA rushing record if he comes back for, for a third season and, and is already almost at 6,000 career rushing yards through not even three full seasons. Um, quarterback play is sort of similar where you have a quarterback who's maybe not going to win you a game, but he's not going to lose you a game because they just don't turn the ball over and are pretty efficient. Um, and, the, and then you're talking about teams that are kind of like to just kind of mash you, like I said, the line of scrimmage. So uh, that's going to be a, a kind of an interesting challenge. But given the fact that Oregon, I think, had a lot of success against a Utah team that plays very similar to Wisconsin, I think that's kind of a fun matchup um, for Oregon. Uh, Matt, Matt, do you agree or would you have rather seen the, the Nittany Lions down there? No, I, I, I mean, I think this is the best – bowl game outside of the playoffs, you know, the two playoff games, the Rose Bowl, Wisconsin versus Oregon. I mean, you've got one of the best defenses in the country, uh, one of the best running backs in the country. You've got another one of the best defenses in the country. you got one of the best quarterbacks in the country, uh, two really good coaching staffs. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what what <clears throat> what more out there that you would want for, for a matchup outside of, 
maybe Penn State's a, a, an easier opponent. Maybe that's the, the view that Oregon could could beat have a higher chance of probability of beating Penn State than beating Wisconsin. I, I have no problem with with this matchup at all. I think it's like I said, I, I think it's the best game of all the bowl games outside of the two playoff games. Yeah, and it is kind of cool that Oregon and Wisconsin are developing a, a little bit of a rivalry in terms of these Rose Bowls now. Obviously, they played back in 2012, but I, I expect this to be a really fun game. Um, Jonathan Taylor is a stud. I mean, there's not, in my mind, a better running back in the country right now than him, and, and that is going to be a, a one tough challenge. And I know Oregon defensively did a pretty good job on Zach Moss. He ran over 100 yards. He got in the end zone uh, one time on a pass, but... Um, this is going to be another really, really big challenge. And, and, again, in terms of just running back talent, this is a guy who I think is going to have a, a long career on Sundays and, and who's a name you're not going to just forget about after he leaves Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin's put some really good running backs in the NFL, and this is, I think, the latest and, and maybe one of the best ones they've had. So uh, it's it's not going to be a game that will be easy in terms of stopping that. And you look at that offensive line for Wisconsin, I think Oregon and Wisconsin have two of the better offensive lines in the country. So, um, again, I, I compared it to the Utah game in terms of just the way these teams are kind of, you know, built and put together, and I think that's going to make for another really fun football game. I'm personally really excited for the matchup. I would rather play Wisconsin than Penn State as well. All right, uh, seventh question, at Sundog80, will Micah Pittman be ready for the Rose Bowl and any other injured players that could make an appearance? Um, this, is a good, this is a good question. Yeah, and I don't think we have. Do we have any finality for Mario? We don't have. We don't have clear indication yet of Pittman. Now that being said, when Pittman's injury happened, Crystal Ball deemed it. He did not deem it season-ending. He just said he will be out for a while. He. Uh, that's not exactly his, his exact quote, but he, I do know for sure he did not call it a season-ending injury. Um, he said it was like a six-week injury, and this is going to be right around that time. Uh, it would not surprise me one bit if Micah Pittman, uh, is available in some capacity for Oregon football in the Rose Bowl. And that would be a welcome sign for this group. Um, considering the depth that they, the lack of depth they have at that position. Now granted, they've gone through this entire year, so I don't know if you can use that any, anymore as an excuse, but, uh, other injured players I, that can make an appearance. I, I don't know of anyone out there that's, uh, suffered some kind of an injury outside of Pittman that's not season-ending injuries. Is, is there, am I am I blanking on one there? Uh, no, I I think everyone else is is out for the year has is suffering from like either a broken leg or or a you know a busted up knee or something like that. So I don't I don't think there's anyone else that's on the radar. And I I, I pulled the, the quote from Cristobal regarding Pittman's injury, this most recent one, because um, he was asked specifically like, is this season ending? Could he come back for the bowl game? Um, his response. We're always hopeful of that. He's proven before he's a quick healer. He healed from a significant injury. When I say significant, obviously one that was pretty painful and whatnot from a tough collision. Modern medicine and our training staff, the medical staff, are second to one, the very best in the country. And Mike is a guy that attacks every opportunity to get better 100 miles per hour. So if anyone can heal quickly, it will be him. And if the timeline matches up, that'll certainly be a consideration. So... Um, you know, from Cristobal's mouth there, it certainly didn't seem like, and now this of course is from quite a, quite a while ago. So you're talking about, uh, let's see, the quote came on, uh, November 18th. So it's a couple of, about almost a month ago. Uh, we haven't had, I don't think a further update since, but at the time he did seem at least somewhat optimistic about the possibility that Pittman might be available for a bowl game. And in terms of that six weeks, you look at that, that lands you really close to Jan 1. 
which is when Oregon plays uh, Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I I think that's going to be one of the first questions that we ask Cristobal at his next media availability, whenever that is. We don't really know when. We know it's not going to be for a while. He is in New York City because uh, Herbert's there for the Campbell Trophy presentation. Uh, we also know he's out recruiting. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit until, uh, time until we get Cristobal back. All right, eighth and final question from at the Yankee Fan 13. This is a pretty basic question here, but will we see any transfers after the Rose Bowl? Um, I, I wouldn't expect to hear a bunch of transfers like the day after the Rose Bowl, but I think it's certainly reasonable to expect that once the season is over, that's when players will be announcing whether or not they're leaving um, the program. So yeah, I mean, I would, I don't have, I'm not going to give any names here. Um, I think even if we had a name or two, I think it would be kind of unfair to to make some sort yeah. of announcement or suggestion that they're going to leave. But it's certainly I think not. There's names. Okay, you want to run through some names? No, no. I mean, I, I, I think there, there are guys out there. Like, yeah, yeah, that there are. Like, there, it happens every year. Whether and it's not just us knowing that there's guys going to be leaving the program. It, it's just, it's the nature of sport that guys are going to go and try and find somewhere else because they want to play. Um, so it's not going to surprise me the slightest if I don't know, middle of January or. January 1, we, we learned such and such didn't make the trip because he's elected to not be at Oregon next season and he doesn't get to come to the game. You know, uh, doesn't, doesn't surprise me if after spring football, three or four guys decide to leave the program. And that's, I think that's probably more likely when it will happen than, uh, right after the football season's over. Yeah, that, that makes some sense. And maybe even, I'm not, we, have, we don't know this for sure, but the last couple of years they've conducted spring practice where there's a break in the middle about a couple of weeks off and they yeah, come that's back. Where it happens. I was going to say that would be the time where a couple of guys are like kind of on the fence and then they show up to spring practice. Some of the enrollees are there. There's kind of a clearer shot of what the depth chart looks like and they go, oops. Yeah, I don't think I have a chance here. So I'm going to take off. So yeah, there will, I mean, in terms of will they, there be chances after the Rose Bowl? Yes, but I don't think either of us are going to sit here and say there's going to be January 5th is going to roll around and there's going to be seven guys who have already announced. You mean you don't want to commit some kind of a career suicide? (laughs) I like to avoid that as best as possible. (laughs) So I will not be saying any of that. Okay, well, I'll Uh, say it for you. I'll just say you said it. I said it. All right, Matt Matt is going to get sources. Eric's going to send on a podcast (laughs) that this is what's happening. Uh, So, no, I, I don't. But in terms of the question, yeah, I think you can expect some players will transfer probably. Um, you know, January, February, March, April. Some there, there will be multiple guys, I would guess, that'll leave. But I don't have names, and I don't, even if we did, I think it would be unfair to to throw those guys out. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast Mailbag Edition. Thank you for listening to the Mailbag. Uh, we will talk to you guys later on. Thanks for listening. Adios, amigos. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.